forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. We're going to start by having you introduce yourselves on the microphones so the listeners know what you sound like. Tell us who you are. Tell us where we've seen your name on our TV screen. Uh, Elizabeth, starting with you. Uh, Elizabeth Finch. I have been on True Blood, Vampire Diaries, and now Grey's Anatomy for almost six years. Kelly Souders, and Brian will correct me if I forget anything. Um, we started out on Smallville. We were there for almost a decade, and then we did Beauty and the Beast, and Under the Dome, and Political Animals, and Salem, and Genius, and Hot Zone. Did I forget anything? That's it. And I'm Brian Sweet. Peterson, and I worked with Kelly on all of those shows, so I don't need to say anything now. <laughs> Lucky you. Uh, you are writing partners. Yes. yes. Have you always been writing partners? Well, <laughs> funny story. <laughs> we went actually to pitch our first show to Warner Brothers, and being naive and silly right out of grad school, we actually sold it. Mainly, in the because, room. mainly because it was for George Clooney's company at the time. <laughs> but we, we sold, sold it, it in the room. You sold it in the room. One of the, yeah, That's we didn't quite crazy. realize how lucky that was. And when we, we left, yeah. we left, and they're like, oh, you're this great new writing team. Our agent was like, and we're like, we, wait, what? Oh, no, wow. That was so, never a conversation that happened. <laughs> we still haven't agreed to be writing team, but That's it's fair. been 20 years. And we actually had to call from the parking lot of that meeting, um, the producer, Pam Williams, and say what, like, ask her what happened. And she's like, oh, you sold a pitch. And we we're like, what does that mean? Like, we were so green. We Amazing. had no idea. Oh, my gosh. And then we happened since, by yeah. the way, of course. No, of course. <laughs> Let's, I want to talk about this for a minute. Um how did you get in that room? What was that pitch that you sold and, and what happened to it? Right out of film school, um, Kelly had been approached to write a project um, about a film project about gay rehab, mm -hmm. a comedy, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, well, actually, how about my friend Brian? Because he's gay. <laughs> and so um, that that turned into this uh, indie called But I'm a Cheerleader. And that script, for whatever reason, we were very lucky. It kind of got on that varieties tend to watch mm -hmm. list. I don't don't know why, but it I um, do. <laughs> it was a, it was it was a fun little script and so it got some some notice and Kelly and I had been working on a project um, back in film school cuz we're both from smaller smaller more rural areas. Um, we went to pitch it to George Clooney's company. Okay, let's stop and there. there. You go. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh no, that was way too involved, <laughs> wasn't did... it? I know that's no, my no, life. not at all. I actually want to get more involved. <laughs> okay. um, I want to dig in on some of the stuff because I think it's well, you know, our breaking in stories are not replicable necessarily. I think there are lessons to be taken for it for people who do want to break into the business. So, where did the opportunity to pitch to Clooney's company come from? We had gotten an agent off of the show because, of course, as everybody knows, you don't get an agent when you need one. You need to get an agent after you get your first job, right. <laughs> and then you get your agent, or at least that's how it worked for us. So was it based Same on yeah. So, yeah. So I'm But I'm a Cheerleader? Right. So, yeah. So okay. based on But I'm a Cheerleader, we got an agent. Actually, it wasn't then, we. It was you. In fact, they wouldn't <laughs> bring me on for a couple years, I think. But we made them. Really? Oh, wow. But we made we them made eventually. Them. <laughs> um, once we were writing partners, quote, unquote. Yes. Um, and so... They, for some reason, there was this little era where I was living in this little apartment in Silver Lake, next, literally next to a prostitute. Um, Not just a prostitute. Well, it was a, it was a wonderful transsexual prostitute. Yeah. Um, and uh, who, who left me porn because her dog barked all night long. Um, as, as a, as a, as a I'm sorry, my sure. dog is barking. Here's porn. She you don't know that that's the traditional right, game. Right. Who knew? Who knew that that wasn't very appropriate? She but. did have good taste in music, which you could hear through the walls. Yeah, she thankfully. has. God. Um, oh my god! But every night I would come home. It was this weird era where there was like a package from innovative artists, and I'm like, oh my god, I've made it. Like there's an envelope from innovative artists, that, and it was all of these scripts that they wanted somebody to do a pass on, mm -hmm. and so I took all of these meetings and. And then we ended up taking meetings back when I was doing my day job and she had a day job near 
USC. She was at the Science Center. Writing grants. I would like leave my highlighter open on my desk and a cup of coffee and she would use her razor and like come like across town. The razor meaning the one with wheels. (laughs) (laughs) And we would race off to these meetings and hope nobody noticed that we were gone. We'd disappear for like two hours in the middle of the day. Oh my God. Oh, I got to go run something to the department next door and then come like running into it. Oh God, I just got back from the bathroom. Did you need to? I mean, we we just hit it for like two years that we were taking all these meetings. But you, I mean, every one of those envelopes came with, you had to read it overnight. You had to come up with a take on how you, I mean, it was a ton of work. And so, and you know, you get one out of every 10 of those gigs. And the one gig that I got that is so appropriate for me was Chick Masters. (laughs) <laughs> for Copelson. Um but then we got then we got into TV and there was a certain level of sanity that okay. occurred. So that made yeah. insanity that, that, as well. That well, yeah. makes sense. All right, yeah. I want to pause there and we'll, we'll pick up. Yeah. Um, but Elizabeth, tell, tell us about your start. How did you get into this business? Uh, I actually intended to be a playwright in, uh, and went to graduate school at USC uh, originally for playwriting until somebody pointed out uh, my parents over and over and over again <laughs> that there is no no money and no entry-level position. You either are one right. and there's not much money or you aren't one and there's no money. <laughs> so when I went to SC, I got to take a couple film and TV classes and realized, oh, television felt so similar in terms of the collaboration, in terms of the whole process. So I thought... I want to go into the film school. So I made the move into the film school and studied mostly TV because that was the most attractive thing to me. Um, was there a TV program there at the time? Yeah, it was called the School of Cinema Television and they at the <laughs> time, and they leaned more heavily towards cinema. I, re- I remember advocating with a bunch of my friends to have our thesis be... It could be a television pilot script and not a feature. Which and that can now. It can yeah, now, actually, which yeah. we've learned. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, which is great. But that wasn't always the case. And so I did that. And then right out of school, right after grad school, I got an Emmy fel- uh, fellowship, an internship through the Television Academy. Oh, cool. And that immediately put me, you know, most internships are filing things and coffee runs and everything. And it was run by someone, they, they make a point of, employing interns to past people who have won that. So like Brandon Braga, who was oh. running and who was doing the last year, um, last year of enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, he won the, one of the internships when he was younger. Oh, so he was like, okay, show up. He, you know, he called me intern the whole time, which, you know, <laughs> nicely, but intern. Um, but by the same token, I was essentially the writer's assistant right away. Um, I never grabbed coffee. He was like, you are coming on. He would just scream intern and you would go on a golf cart and he would take <laughs> you to every production meeting so you could observe it. Every wow. costume meeting, every rewrite you were in the room. I was the actual writer's assistant on the board, not even knowing like what the board was like it was all confounding and delightful and amazing and I didn't realize at the time how much access I was really getting but I remember being like oh it was like they taught us in grad school great okay so everything (laughs) I learned makes sense I can maybe keep doing that and then I left that job that was a finite time and they knew the show was ending so there was nowhere to go Uh, I had an interview with Shonda Rhimes to be her assistant um, for this mid-season replacement show called uh, Grey's Anatomy I didn't get it Um, (laughs) and then I went to go work for someone who was just wrapping up working on Six Feet Under which I'd been obsessed with (laughs) and uh, I became his assistant for two years uh, when he had a deal with NBC Universal, and I just wrote scripts all day and made scheduling things with him, and in this weird bungalow off CBS Radford. And then when that time was up, he said, "My uh, my buddy Alan Ball um, <laughs> has this show about vampires, and they need a writer's assistant." So I was like, uh, "Okay, yes, thanks, thanks, I'll do that." So I interviewed and got that job, and then um, the script coordinator and I sort of became a paper, what they call a paper mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't oh, wow. intend to be writing partners from the beginning, but uh, one of the writers was let go one season, and Alan said, if you can, over Christmas break, write a spec episode of True Blood of season three, even though we're in season one, as like your audition piece, then we'll see. You guys can do it together and compete against one another, or you can do it together, whatever. I don't right. care. Just let's see what you got. Because one of the writers advocated to give us a shot before they went searching hmm. for a new writer. Um, 
and we quickly aligned um just be smart. <laughs> both, both in terms of like the oh my god and right. also the time frame was just impossible sure. and he uh read the script and offered us a f- an episode of the show and then next year we got to write two of them we stayed on another on our job as writer's oh, no assistant kidding. we could still we produced our episode full, and wow. those were hbo true blood like yeah. forever long shoots in the <laughs> middle of um like uh las virginis canyon so it was crazy shoots that i would have i've never seen since that we were somehow supposed to oh produce like trial by fire yeah. but and by um live wolves <laughs> and cheetahs oh there was, it was a lot of trials but uh yeah that's so we got our first and of course we got our agent after we had right, secured right. our first freelance <laughs> um we wrote two more and, and then you were still working as a team when you were staffed we actually were technically never staffed because he was like, everything's working the way it is. Oh, so we wrote nice. a we, bunch of freelancers. And we could have gone, you know, for staffing season somewhere else. But we were like, this is a dream sure. room on a dream show doing things we'd never get to do anywhere else. So yeah. we were like, OK, we'll also be in the room and type things. <laughs> and you just in the same way that you guys like figured out how to make it work, especially because they were two of you, like what some person would go get lunch, the other one would stay in the room and like yeah. get a pitch and get our outlines done and do it all day, all night. And it was a dream. So we stayed as a paper team. We we were paper teamed at first and then we stayed as a team for True Blood and then on our next show. And then we made the decision very lovingly to mm-hmm. just say, hey, we both have completely different interests right now <laughs> and split. We had never gone into it in, like you guys. It, I mean... You guys found it. Didn't go into it on purpose either, but you found something that worked. We figured at a certain point, we were like, I think we want to be on different shows and do different type of work. And Hmm. we established ourselves as individual writers. Did you have to create new material as your, as yourself? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, luckily the true blood was, was known enough. Mm -hmm. So that was great um and then i ended up in more vampire world so there was sort of you know but yes we did have to create we never actually created original work together she had screenplays of her own i had plays of my own and um spec scripts and pilots and things from both grad school and what i've done since so but when it came to sort of split it was it was fairly easy do you feel like i'm just thinking when you look back and you didn't get that first gig with Shonda as an assistant do you look back and think god thank god because I feel like Hollywood (laughs) stories are paved with these moments that you think are the end of your career (laughs) and when you look back you're like oh my gosh I'm so lucky that didn't work out a hundred percent because I would have been a terrible assistant I would have messed up <laughs> within, I don't know, two days yeah. because I really hadn't had like assistant, sh- an active show. So like I was right. in the writer's room, but I wasn't really being anyone's assistant. I would have been a disaster <laughs> and I would have lost it and I would have never had the chance and I would have never fallen in love with the show itself either. <laughs> so as much, and I've since met, it was between me and one other guy and um, I've met the other guy who has also gone on to have an extremely successful career, but he so was funny. good at being an assistant. <laughs> he could hack it. And I, he could hack it, but I would have been terrible. So let me ask one more question uh, before we move on. When you were when you were an assistant for that person between the internship and Alan Ball, um, and he said, "Why don't you go work for him as a writer's assistant?" How were you making it known that you wanted to write? Um, I was very clear. And that was something that I think grad school, I don't know if you guys had the same experience that it to stop talking yourself as an aspiring writer to mm-hmm. to talk about yourself as a writer who's hoping to get paid <laughs> aspiring to get paid for it. Um, but when I went to go, his name was Rick Cleveland, um, and I worked for him for two years and he when he hired me, he said, I want to I want a writer to <laughs> to work for me so that I could give him notes on his stuff so I could bat things up because he it was just us in a bungalow there wasn't like anyone or anyone else and I think that um he was looking for someone so it was very clear and then I had said to him 
when this is ending, because there was there was an end and we weren't sure what was next for him. I said, I, I know I want to go and be working on a show. Do you know anyone? So I sat down. I remember we went to the stand and we had hot dogs <laughs> um, and I like asked him on purpose, like just said, could we have a sit down so I could talk about what's what's next? Since there was no potential for me to keep working for him because he was going sure. off to do his own thing that didn't have an assistant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's the advice that I had always gotten about just being clear about this is what I want to do. Even Mm -hmm. if you're doing a job that is slightly left of what you're actually doing is to still be clear about what your wish is. Well, I think you two had the um, had the experience that that I had as well when you sort of feel that tipping point with your your day job, your real job. And, you know, when it's time to leave that. Can you talk about that moment for each of you? Yeah, I was in the parking lot at the Science Center, and I remember it really clearly because we got the call that we had staffed on Smallville. Mm -hmm. And we were on the phone um, with our agent at the time, and I'll just never remember just sitting in that my little (laughs) CRV that was uh, leaking literally and smelled like mold because it was just filled with rainwater. um, And just thinking, oh, my God, after all these years and all the days and nights and we didn't have any friends left practically because we were always working on the weekends. I just thought it finally happened. Mm -hmm. I am worst case scenario guy. (laughs) So I am very, very safe. I don't uh, I come from very modest means. And so I um, took a leave of absence. I didn't even quit my job. We got no staffed kidding. on a primetime show. Oh, my God. And For I took like 22 episodes, too. Yeah, but you know, at 13 episodes, they can can you. Right. So if you really only have, like, they have, a, so I, I literally, everybody looked at me like, you are insane. In fact, I think there was, a, and we were writing like crazy. Like, clearly, we were getting picked up. Clearly, right. um, Alan Miles, who, who created the show, were investing in us. And we, and I remember, I think at one point, we went into the office and I shut the door and I'm like, Brian, it's time for you to quit your other day job. I think we're okay. How did you do? How on earth did you do both? Well, I didn't do the other job. I just said, I'm going to take a leave of absence for three months. You know, I want to make sure that there's a job here if something goes wrong. But then this is the kicker. I got really upset that they didn't throw me a party when I left. And they're like, well, you're not leaving. You can't have it both ways. You either leave or quit. I know, right? Oh, my God. Oh, well. Meet Brian. It worked out okay. That's kind of great. That's amazing. Maybe they'll throw you one now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Listen, anyone out there is listening, <laughs> works at USC. Brian's waiting for party his party. Time. Um, I want to jump way ahead and then we'll, we'll sort of go back and fill things in. But um, I, I'm i told, Elizabeth, that you just had this uh, Grey's Anatomy episode, which people went bonkers for. A little, a, a little bit. Why? Uh, because we tackled an entire episode usually we have you know we have a lot of series regulars and juggle a lot of story do- storylines simultaneously and every once in a while we get to do these sort of standalone episodes that we call them um and this time we wrote an episode or i wrote an episode ca- um called silent all these years which was focused primarily on uh sexual assault and all of the story, lo- the, the two storylines, or three, sorry, the three storylines that existed all dealt with consent uh, uh, or rape or assault in one form or another. We had one one of our main characters who's always wondered what her origin story was. You know, she was left at a fire station uh, hmm. as a baby and ab- abandoned, um, has gone in pursuit of finding her mom and finds her and learns that she is the product of... Uh, rape that her played by Michelle Forbes, who was her mother, who just was extraordinary. Mm. Um, so they have a very long diner conversation um, where she just tries to find out uh, where she came from. And she goes, not Joe, who's the main character, goes in pursuit of finding out answers of where she came from and learns this truth, um, which just rocks her. And we're flashing back and forth um, to a couple days later when... Joe receives a patient who has been sexually assaulted and we watch this in it. Most of it is contained uh, in one room with this Hmm. uh, patient uh, named Abby who needs a surgery. And, but in order to um, 
if they do the surgery, they'll wipe away all the evidence of what's just happened to her. So without trying to take away her agency uh, that she's just lost by what happened to her, they try and see if they can get her to admit what's happened and talk about it. And um, and in the third storyline, one of um, our Bailey and Ben, our lovely couple who have an amazing son named Tuck, uh, they find out that he's dating for the first time. So they see him put his arm around another girl and realize we have to have a conversation about uh, consent and empathy and all of these things. Hmm. So all of these, this episode, it was hyper focused on different, different perspectives, perspectives on this one issue. Um, and it's not often that we do that. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit, um, please, about like putting this episode forth in the room. How did how did you know what was the conversation around it? And then how did you start to hone in on what the story would be? Well, it was a it was a couple things, actually. Three years ago, uh, I had visited through the WGA every once in a while. They send out emails about opportunities of places to visit. And there was one that was called a story tour of the Rape Treatment Center in Santa Monica, UCLA, uh, which is looked at as the gold standard for treatment of uh, victims of sexual assault, both children and adults. And I immediately had a couple images in my head that I couldn't get out of and experienced a couple things, and and they learned a lot um, there. And it didn't quite find its space in the mm-hmm. in the immediate seasons in the in the in the following seasons and uh then Christine Blasey Ford came up uh came forward and told her story and i think all of us in the writers room and on the staff and on set were all having these really profound reactions to it and watching how the world was reacting to someone's truth and being told publicly how consent is somehow irrelevant. Um, and that was the message that seemed to get spread uh, uh, quite a bit, as particularly to younger people. And Krista very rarely comes into the room. Krista, our show, Varnoff, our showrunner, very rarely comes into the room and says, let's tackle an issue. It's more mm-hmm. from character. But she said, guys, we have to do something about consent. Um, and we all were in agreement at the same time. Camilla Luddington, who plays our lead character, Joe, on in this episode, said, what if Joe's mom was a product of rape? And... Um, Krista turned to me while she was directing another episode I was writing (laughs) while this was all happening, while the hearings were all happening and said, I had heard about this pitch that you had just about this hallway um, and something about a hallway and what what I kept hearing was called an army of awesome. Um, And she said, will you tell me please more about that? And um, all of those things came together to Hmm. figure out how we could make one story all about the same issue. And you, I kept saying like, well, what are the other storylines? She's like, no, 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 the whole episode is about consent. I was like, but, but really like the whole episode? And she said, yeah, the whole episode. So we merged a lot of these ideas and the army of awesome that I'm referring to is what people sort of flipped out the most about is when I went to the center, um, there was radio communique between every single room they brought us into to make sure that there were no survivors, victims, current patients walk in the hallways while we walked through so that their anonymity, their hmm. comfort were all hmm. protected. Um, and then I saw a video a couple days later or maybe a couple weeks later about those honor hallways that they have for a lot of hospitals when someone's an organ donor. Um Everyone who is working will come down a hallway and watch that donor um, out of respect and just stand in the Mm -hmm. hallway and protect them. Not not that there's anything to protect them, but just to say thank you as a show of respect and honor for this person Mm -hmm. who is donating organs Mm -hmm. uh, who's passed away. So I had merged in my idea, uh, uh, the idea in my head, and I saw it in that um, rape treatment center that – Joe would have a patient who was ready for surgery and finally do a rape kit and finally do all of this, but wouldn't want to leave the room because she was too scared of who she would see because everyone has his face. So every member of the hospital is called down and the patient leaves the hallway and the entire hallway lined from the patient room to the elevators to the OR to the all-female OR are all of the women in our hospital all come and line the hallway and just are there in solidarity and protectiveness and... um, Wow. Very powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it, you know, it was. It's interesting how current culture and what's out there publicly will influence what 
you know, an idea that one person is watching something and get this from it and another person and all of us just sort of came together at the right time and said we would like to show the same audience that listened to Dr. Ford's testimony to say, no, we would like to give other testimony. We would like to say that it does matter and it does matter Mm -hmm. in different ways and and how we talk to the boys and the men in our world matter just as much as how we talk to the women. Yeah, uh, I want to get back to the writing of that episode yeah. in a minute. Um, but let's talk uh, along similar lines. Um, you two have The Hot Zone coming out um, next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, why The Hot Zone? Why now? Well, I mean, we're, I mean, 2018, an outbreak um, of Ebola occurred and it's not ending and maybe by you know some hope there'll be an end to it uh, by the time our show airs Um, but most likely there won't because it is um, you know I think one of the things you were just talking about about how does it how does what you're writing get impacted by what's going on and I think one of the things that we talk about right now and we're in a world right now where people kind of pull into their own little community and it's us versus them and there it's nation versus nation or a group of people versus a, a group of people. And I think that when you delve into um, the real problems that we face us down the road, such as viruses, mm-hmm. um, such as Ebola or some, some virus that's going to break through and just sweep us all by surprise, um, you start to see the world uh, very differently, and that it's that we are first a global community before anything else. And right now, that seems to be something that a lot of a lot of people are forgetting, or just not not really have in their consciousness yeah. as they go about their day. So I think that's something that we certainly talked about quite a bit: is how to get everybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their belief system is, to be on the exact same page as they're watching this show. Mm-hmm. And what's a little scary about it all is, you know, Linda Obst is one of our producers. She's the one who's really championed this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. She's been trying to get this project made. I think 25. 25, yeah. first as a feature. Wow. Um, and we're arguably the same or worse as far as where we are with funding for the CDC and mm-hmm. as far as global communication and global understanding of each other than we were when she first started trying to get this made. And so it really showed us it takes place in 1989 mm-hmm. for the most part there's flashbacks to the 70s but it it was amazing as we developed this over the course of three years um how much more timely it oddly became sure. as time progressed it was very very odd it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. i mean I, I remember even reading the book 20 years ago and mm-hmm. and feeling like oh this the government's the broke the system is broken yeah <laughs> that, that this is allowed to happen that something like this can happen uh, and it feels more broken now right was that your way in this way that you described this idea of a a global society i think our way in was character which i mm-hmm. think for us is and i mean it's not like we're the first writers to say that <laughs> breaking news character is important Listen, we've done 500 episodes this is the first time i've heard <laughs> I, I, I know that's Look why we we're have bringing to, to the yeah. table you're, you're like we have to come because we got to talk about this thing called character um no so i think i mean i think that's really what uh what plugged us in is reading when we read the hot zone book there's uh sort of your everyday people in there that have these insane jobs Mm -hmm. and then put their lives on the line for everybody else without even thinking about it. And that to us, um, having written about superheroes for a long time, suddenly to be looking at, you know, this woman who's like the mother of two and sort of living in a house with a bunch of animals she has to take care of and her husband who, you know, they both go off to their job. And the truth of the matter is their job has these little ticking time bombs uh, that you never know when they're going to go off. And yeah. I think that's that was really our in. I think it was once we, you know, we delve into the character and then we start pulling back and start thinking about the show in in sort of a from a more macro level and that's kind of when the and then also just reading about viruses and realizing like (laughs) hey guys if you think like a little little you know battle is like gonna take you out like that i mean yes and it's unfortunate that's the case but that's that's not what's gonna wipe out the human race like let's get a little bit more Mm. more serious about um the threats that are threatening everybody every day and are just kind of waiting around a corner 
You're, you're, not to scare you. Then you're not making me <laughs> want to watch this. Wow. Yeah, you're terrifying. I, <laughs> no, I can't wait to watch this. I actually, and I should say, actually, when watching, one of the things that was important to us, and we wrote with uh, Jeff Fintar, who's a, who's another mm-hmm. wonderful writer. It was just the three of us um, breaking it and writing it. But uh, we wanted to make sure that it was very, very watchable. Yeah. Because I, I mean, we both have done horror. We've done all kinds of different things. But I don't, I'm a little... Not maybe squeamish, but kind of squeamish. <laughs> no, and, it's, it's different for yeah, sure. Yeah, and it was very important that we we create a story um, and scenes that don't make you turn away from the TV. Right. Um, <laughs> so when you tune in, like, yes, yeah. it's about Ebola, but it's really about the people who are yeah. fighting it. Well, and hearing that that was your way in and, mm-hmm. and even just describing this main character is like, that's that's an attractive character. That's a character I want to spend time with and find out what drives her and what she goes through. Uh, I'm impressed with that. I want to talk uh, along the same lines about um, writing this great script that we were talking about. How do you how do you keep it honest? How do you make it about these characters that we've lived with for I want to say 30 years? That's how long the show. It feels like that, doesn't it? Um, um, that but was... also, you know, without being exploitative, also about the subject. Well, I think. First of all, you have an amazing. We have an amazing staff, um, mm-hmm. and we have women. Uh, we have some fantastic men. Particularly with this episode, we have women that come from so many different perspectives and backgrounds that um, to ignore that would be dumb and also I think ineffectual. And I think it hit people in different ways because we explored some pretty complicated issues. Um, For me, it was thinking about how often we show women being, and men being, but more often women being assaulted and hurt. And we spend so little time talking about what happens next, what happens after it. How do we take care of people who have been assaulted? How do we talk to them? What are the lasting impacts? I read um, I'd read this article in the New York Times about this woman who goes from high school to high school and talks about consent. And she said that it used to be the way, like it used to be more women coming up, but now more, more, um, young men are coming up that are talking about, uh, you know, I saying, I have a friend who's, who's been hurting herself because this, this happened to her or she's depressed because this happened to her. And even in those conversations, this article, this woman was talking about how they would say, but it happened like two years ago. I'm trying to understand why she's still so upset. And these are people, these are young men who have clearly a lot of empathy because they're going trying to understand it and still can't wrap their brain around it. And if they're feeling that way, I know certainly there are a lot of adults that try and wrap their brain around what are the lasting impacts, what impacts, what are the generational impacts Mm. of it? So that... I wasn't worried about being uh, about exploiting anyone because we so often so often talk about that side and we so often see um, assault on television. And we uh, I can only think of three examples in my research of time we've ever seen a rape kit on television. Um, And ours is one of them. Um, And so and you're also having a conversation with Joe and her mom where you're seeing that this woman is so has been so deeply impacted by this assault that she couldn't um, raise the child that Mm -hmm. she bore. She could not do that. And she also can't continue to have a relationship with the grown woman (laughs) standing in front of her because she's never told anyone. She's never told her she's married and has children now and and had, uh, you know, a, a life since then. But she clearly there are roadblocks, even though she's had therapy and done that. So our concern collectively wasn't about exploiting anyone because yeah. there was territory that no one really is talking about. And But there's that same thing that you're talking about of uh, making sure it's still watchable, making sure it's mm-hmm. still you're talking about things that are really um, scary and complex and difficult and he- deeply human and upsetting. But you also if you lose your audience midway through then and they can't let they can't hear it. Right. So there there is the balance that we had to make sure that. Tonally, we were still not showing things that were so awful um, that people couldn't take it. And some people, you know, some some people there were, we put out trigger warnings at the beginning of that episode sure. for a reason because yeah. some people decided they couldn't. But it's interesting too. I mean, you you it feels like you're allowed to tackle things that are important to you as writers, in part because you know 
we've lived with these characters for so long, right? We trust them. We trust the people behind them to tell an honest story. Yeah, and I think that there's room for them to be imperfect and messy and complicated. And Joe goes into this story pissed as hell because she expected her mom to be in a worse shape and Joe has not had an easy life and she sees a perfect house and a perfect husband and a perfect children and it pisses her off and so she's not very nice and even when she learns nice whatever that is like she even when she learns the truth of it there's still so much anger and complication between these two women because they've both suffered in different ways and so much but it is because I I think part of it is um, a lot of it has to do with both Shonda and Krista who have um, you know shepherded the show that has been so deeply human Mm -hmm. so there is that trust um, but there also is the reality of the world I mean you take into consideration where we are in the world. I think it comes from the writers wanting to be like, okay, I don't know if we just want to talk about silly things. I think tapping into humanity Mm -hmm. and like the idea of her, you know, your character going to work, having to deal with a husband and children while she has this superhuman job Mm -hmm. um, and puts her at risk that these are things that I don't know, I, that I like spending my time on versus things I've done in the past because the world is so complex and scary on its own right now. Absolutely. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, before we do run out of time. And um, tell me, uh, how do you two work together? What's your process? Great. (laughs) I will. It would have to be. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, it's really interesting because running a show is a very different thing than doing the actual writing. And so we're a little unique, I think, for writing partners in that we there's not like one skill set that one of us has mm-hmm. in spades that the other one doesn't. I mean, we really both can go into visual effects, can go into a room and, and like that um, and don't want to slough something off to the other person. But it really sometimes is a matter of time. So sure. and mental health. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and that's I mean, that's where having a partner is. Yeah, it's fantastic. Best, right? I mean, you can split a salary. <laughs> sure. But it is, worth it. And it is worth it because yeah. you have somebody there when you're especially when, you know, We go through some crazy things in this industry and to shut the door and be able to be like, oh, my (laughs) God, what just happened (laughs) to us like last week? (laughs) So, um, you know, those moments are kind of invaluable. And then on the writing side. Yeah, I mean, we kind of I'm. We do. We we take turns when we're show running. We one of us takes the odd number of episodes and the other one takes evens. And it's because we don't want to get behind Mm -hmm. and it's so easy to get behind because you have these constant deadlines so one and and everybody needs one person to give an answer so we found that that worked over time and then as far as like i mean in the room and you can probably ask anybody who's been in writer's room with us like we have sort of this weird i don't know we'll be talking and we'll break an entire couple scenes or a storyline or whatever and we'll be talking back and forth for like 20 (laughs) minutes and then we'll turn to everybody else and go great you got it and they all stay at us and they go you guys realize you've only said like 20 words and none of them have to do with each other but it's like amazing we kind of like like, get each other on this weird level where like we finish each other's sentences which is not helpful in our private lives (laughs) because we cut everybody (laughs) off and it is like this it's really like you were saying pavlovian earlier on um there is this like this instinct that you have to stop because we know exactly and then and without like with just a look you're like yeah i got that. it that's not good yeah and i mean you gotta like, go the other way you know we've it, eaten so many meals i mean we've just spent so many hours over the last 20 years staring at each other that even if there's just like a little eye twitch on his left eye i'll be like oh okay well i guess you didn't like that like what's yeah. what's your idea and everybody else in the room is staring at me like has she lost her mind? And I'm like, no, didn't you just see that all no. over Brian's face? I mean, it's kind of, I, I think that we've developed this very unique um, system that, uh, you know, thank God we found each other. Cause Absolutely. I don't know that anybody else could have put up with each other. And I think we're like better together. Right. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah. we'll outline together, but then we'll each split it up in each kind of, so we, so we don't have somebody hovering over Absolutely. us. We each take half the script. And so we get a full pass on our own, right. like that part of it. And then we put it together and then rewrite together. Wise, yeah. Yeah. And a um, writing so similar, you kind of can't t- tell it apart. Right, that happens. People will come up to me point, and go, right? "Oh, I know Brian wrote this act," and I'm yes. like, "No, I wrote that act." And they're like, "Oh, but you wrote that," and I'm like, "No, Brian did that." Like nobody, nobody yeah. really knows. And also, stop trying to guess. Like yeah. we're a team. It's oh, a great you mystery. Would be shocked. Oh, no, people, I, I've worked with the party for 15 years. Oh, you know, it is, <laughs> you know, people have to know. Like, yeah. 
you know, who's the good one? Who the excess baggage? And it's so infuriating. Do people, do people, I guess maybe not as showrunners, but prior to that, do they try to play you, like ask you oh a question? Gosh. Oh, that's Because we used to get that of like, someone would ask me, get an, like an actor or someone in crew would be like, we can like lose the coat, right? And I would be like, no, we oh. need the coat. And then they oh would like God. sneak that's... around when someone's at Crafty and be like, do? we can lose the coat, oh, right? That's why we... we have one email. So we, that's when smart. we were showrunning, somebody would ask one of us a question, not get the answer they'd want and then go over to the other one and go hey what do you think about you know blowing up the car in the third act and we'd have to say well which is this an odd episode or an even if it's an even then ask Brian and you already know that Brian gave you an answer because I was sitting in the room with him what do you think (laughs) we're like sharing office in a phone like so we yeah so we decided they try to play mommy and daddy off of each other and we're like no can't do it yeah no I'm having flashbacks to my partner dates (laughs) yeah it's it's, you gotta weed that stuff out really early that's really like we're we're very aware of the fact that we're two different people and so right. most of the time 90% of the time we're completely aligned that other 10% I'm sure drives people a little bit crazy but we constantly tell them up front like if you get one answer or we're not being clear or whatever, you have to call us out on it. We won't be frustrated. Right. Like we don't want That's our great. crew or, you know, right. our, our post, like we, uh, editors, and yeah. uh, we don't want them frustrated. And right. we've been there. We've worked with other teams before and we work with each other. So right. we try to just like front load it. Whether and you or not understand they, your dynamic. Yeah, there's yeah. one visual effect right now that, that we failed completely on that yeah. mission. <laughs> but one, some, one, one out of we about had the 700 same goal. isn't bad. We had the same goal. It just didn't quite look well, like what what flesh. happens? <laughs> Let's just get yeah. Frankly, I'm glad. Watch that. Watch that. Watch and see which one it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right Although Dean has been amazing. I'm not. Um, oh, what, that was spin. spin what do you amazing. do when you do disagree? <laughs> we are general. Because we both we're both really strong willed and we'll both try to talk we'll spend hours trying to convince each other. So what we've <laughs> learned is at that certain breaking point where you're just wasting time, yeah. neither one of us gets our way. We have to find a That's third right. answer. Yeah. Like we have to find a third and almost yeah. I would not even say almost every single time it's a better Sure. Solution than one because you're that doing we it together anyway. For. But we do yeah. try mm-hmm. to close the door because it's you know it can go on oh, for a long sure. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that stuff happens in private. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Um, Elizabeth, I want to talk about um, you know you've worked on a number of shows and you were sort of with those shows for a good couple of years on each one, um, but you found a home it seems like at Grey's. Yeah, and I'm curious about what you took with you from those previous shows that you're able to bring to this new show not new anymore well it every time they mention vampires or zombies i literally walk out of the writer's room that's been that's been a rule (laughs) just in a joking pitch when they dream of other worlds i'm like i'm out and i i just leave and get a snack um i think i've always been i've i've always come from character first i've always been the person who's more attracted to feelings Mm-hmm. Not in real life. Just I lived. I had feelings <laughs> through television. <laughs> Truly, um, in real but life, I, emotionally stunted. But whatever. <laughs> um, so when it was when I was on I, watching True Blood was the great at being and being a part of that. Watching Alan in uh, in that writers room was and being a part of that entire show. Everything from the the breaking of an episode to production, which was the wildest thing I think I'll ever be a part of hmm. production wise. Um, may I never run a show that says biggest and weird as that because when you get notes like please don't bring snacks on set because there's a live cheetah you're like oh okay that's what's (laughs) happening today um that really was the greatest training ground i think for everything but alan always came at everything from from a character point of view Mm -hmm. no matter how many fairies and wolves and things (laughs) were happening um you always understood it and and vampire i went from there to vampire diaries and i was never a genre girl i was very surprised to be on that path but when i went to vampire diaries I was still really less attracted to like what I just call in my own head, the sword and the shield and the run and the thing. (laughs) Um, I was like, oh, but someone just like her best friend just got killed and she's Hmm. sad. And what would someone who's sad do? All right, fine. Now she has extra ability to like turn off a thing, her humanity or do, you know, go kill somebody and bring them back to life. So you think about those things Hmm. like so that's really what I brought Um I hope is that I think I've been carrying that humanity around. Um, (laughs) It was true blood was the most quintessential scene for me was there was someone who at Dennis O'Hare who played Russell Edgington had lost his gay lover that he had had for hundreds of years. 
and he wasn't there when he died. And someone was like, what's the most screwed up thing you would do? And I was like, well, as a human, I would wish to God I could have been there. And that's what would have obsessed me. And it's like, oh, okay. Hmm. So he's going to go find someone and kill them and pretend they're him and just so he can cradle them and be like, I'm so sorry, and call him his name oh the God. entire time. And that I was perfect like, sense to me. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it's the most screwed up thing, but at the same time, it was still coming from a human place of like, yeah. what would be your biggest regret? So I don't know. I And I also... I was very much looking after Vampire Diaries. Even I've loved every place I've been, but I was looking to do mm. something that was uh, human drama sure. based. That makes and, sense. Um, and I was also really super obsessed with Grey's um, <laughs> by that point. So I had every episode memorized in my head, which kind of helped. Well, uh, wait a minute. I want to talk about this because I think it is instructive to people. Yeah. Um, you're a fan of the show. You're going to meet uh, for a job on the show. Yeah. How do you keep cool? Or do you? Well... I mean, I would advise whether you're a fan of the show or not. I mean, Vampire Diaries, I hadn't seen much of because it was shooting right while True Blood was. So I was trying to not mm -hmm. get them confused because they have different <laughs> rules. But I had 36 hours, I think, before the interview with Julie Pleck. And I oh yeah, ate, slept, and breathed, like, breathed totally. that show. I watched every episode I possibly could um, for it, yeah. for that one. Um, this one, I didn't bother... Um, playing it cool because it's been on for so long and I figured that um, having someone with the knowledge of that show and a deep knowledge of that show from a audience perspective might be valuable to people who I had also learned that so many people had been on that show for decade or from day one. So I thought, okay, well, these people have had the experience of being on it, so clearly they are into it. Mm -hmm. So why pretend like I'm not um, and but I Makes you know sense. I and it still comes into the room some days where they'll just be like didn't we do this thing and I was like they can't remember if they wrote the draft of it and it got it didn't make the final cut or something like totally. that I was like I know because I was at home and I was wearing a purple sweater and I was eating popcorn and I was in my TV that I couldn't afford with the little wavy lines through it and yeah or like that never registered for me as a fan when I watched it I think we could do that again kind of a thing. sure I think and I great. actually think that's a really good point, which is if you're going in for an interview, you don't want to be creepy, but I have to say, <laughs> first of all, full first, stop. Uh, first of all, <laughs> right, yeah. just overall rule, right. yeah. just a dash. <laughs> and don't be creepy. Character, don't um, be creepy. Yeah. These are the rules. <laughs> but it's um, but there's this 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 sort of thing I think where writers either they're not excited for the job, at which point don't go to the interview. Yeah, yeah. Don't say the blonde one. We have five characters. Like, yeah. Don't say the blonde yeah. one. Yeah. And then, or the other thing is like. Tell the tell the showrunner that you want the job. And this sounds really stupid and you might feel kind of ridiculous saying it. But I have to say, we had one year where we were doing just a ton of interviews because we were bringing in a, a, one or two writers and people that we thought for sure this is who we're going to go with walked in the door and and immediately you could just feel it off them that they weren't somebody that you wanted to be in a room with, mm -hmm. that they didn't really want the job or they were trying to be too cool to act like they wanted the job. And then we had people who came in and they, you could, you can just literally feel it off. I have to say, and this is really scary, but like within five seconds of someone walking in the door, you know, whether or not you're at least yeah. even interested in them. Hmm. And I, I, we've ha we had, I remember there was, somebody or a team that came in once for an interview if you can remember it and i this was literally like probably 10 years ago they walked in the door and I, because brian and i know each other so well we don't even have to look at each other right. i can feel both of us just like taking a breath and our backs are up and we're just it's both of us going wow the next 20 minutes of our life is wasted along with these people because there is no way in hell they are getting this job and i know sure. it before they've even opened their mouth wow. yeah. so no want it first and yeah. then without creeping out anyone out like say you want it let them know that's fair absolutely Sorry, yeah and just go. I mean that whole too cool for school thing we're writers we're not cool no I've yet to meet a cool writer <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry yeah, like, <laughs> so the more you try to be cool because in the writers room we talk about everything I mean yeah. our relationships our parents our ailments and so like it, so you need somebody who's going to be part of your family and, and if you don't have somebody that can 
that is already walled up in an interview and you're going to have to break through it and you're going to have to break stories with people that have like that layer. Yeah. It, it's, you got to cut through that. So yeah, that's a great way to think about it for anyone going into the room is, is be ready to be open. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, because when you're, when you're putting a staff together, you're not just putting a staff of writers together as far as like, Oh, this person's really their Their right. character was amazing. This person's dialogue was poppy. You know, this person seemed to understand structure. There is all that, those elements going into it, but it's also about, Oh, we need, we need people's energy or personality balance in there. You're trying to put together a group of people that can collaborate together. And that is more than just what's on the page. So work on both, I would say. That's great. Um, I'm so sorry we have to wrap up. Uh, you all are delightful. Uh, will you please come back and talk to us some other time? Tomorrow? You're a great <laughs> world. Um, very fun. Before Thank we you. do wrap up, I want to ask you all what you were watching on television. What is getting you excited or inspired these days? What are you talking about with your room, your loved ones? Uh, and Elizabeth, let's start with you. Uh, I'm obsessed with Killing Eve, and right. not just because I miss Sandra O oh dearly on my television. <laughs> um, really? I don't know why, but I've been watching um, old reruns of or reruns um, <laughs> sure. of Party of Five. <laughs> no, really, it's, there's some nostalgia in me. And, How's it hold up? Uh, I loved it when it was on. It, it does because it's just about humans. Yeah, it's I mean, so I just lo- like it's. I don't know. I told you I only have feelings through TV and Queer Eye, and. Honestly, every time I come home from work, I watch like an episode of Mom because it's so drastically different from anything <laughs> that we do on our show yeah. that it just really, I don't know, makes my heart sink That's a great. little bit. Okay, this is going to shock Brian. I've been watching Bob's Burger. <laughs> and the thing is, like, it seems. Wait, what is the face for? <laughs> Kelly has a very busy life with two kids, and there's not as much TV viewing as there you is. would imagine. Right. Yeah, I can't say I've watched a ton of it, but I have watched my mm-hmm. like quite a fair share. It's very funny, but we what what's interesting about it as far as writing, and you would think like looking at like our resume, it wouldn't necessarily translate, but it kind of is reminding me that you can just go for something totally absurd and that there are ways to do that in mm-hmm. sort of the drama world too. Um, That's cool. It's, it keeps me, it smile, makes me smile. And it is, I mean, I feel like it gets away with stuff because right. it comes from character. Right, because it's kind of, Yeah. And after 14 hour days, if anything <laughs> makes me smile, that's, that's pretty sure. impressive. That's pretty great. <laughs> that's a good answer. Brian. I usually power through about five minutes of about 10 different shows and then watch a Game of Thrones rerun. Sure. Um, but I, I also, there's a lot of comedies. Like I just started watching Shrill. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, love it. So good. And the other two mm-hmm. um, is also, really, really which I had, that. honestly, it wasn't on my radar. So I no. love that. Um, That's a good recommendation. And now that Veep is back. Mm-hmm. So, and honestly, I, last weekend I went back and I watched Maud. I did. You know I what? Nice. What's amazing yeah. about Maud is we. I mean, it's great that we're in this new world where we're really aware and conscious of ourselves and every move we make and the stereotypes we have, and it's wonderful. But the thing that is interesting about Maud is they just say it, and you're like, <laughs> you did not like the whole time. Now watching it this much later, the whole time you just have your mouth open, and you're like, you did not just say that on national television. It, it's such a different world. Interesting. That it's it's bizarre. Oh, it's really cool. bizarre. That's worth. Sounds like it's worth yeah. watching. That's really fun. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, let's talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. so much. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.